saying, Japanese saying, that is often found on the lintel of um, the tea hut. And the saying is, Ichigo, Ichi-e. Which means, this one moment in time, this one meeting. So when people come to tea, it's just a certain group of people, a certain day of the week, a certain season of the year. That moment of meeting is entirely irreplaceable. It is entirely unique. And similarly, when we travel to Oan, we are coming together to meet at a moment in time, just us. This will, this will never be duplicated. So it's very precious. It's a very precious time. We come not knowing who's going to be here, whether we'll see anybody again. It may be that someone, and this has happened repeatedly, that someone who's been practicing here for a long time, never see them again. Don't know where they went, don't know what happened to them. And some people who have left show up (laughs) in a completely surprising way and just never know what this moment in time will bring. And so we come with this open availability. Um, Who are we going to see? Who, Who are we going to sit with? What is going to be the energy of the day? Uh, how, how is it going to go? And so it's a very precious time. So thank you for arriving at this moment um, for this one meeting that will never, ever happen again. So it's, it's quite beautiful. So we continue to explore this notion of no self and we've spent a lot of time I think five weeks or so talking about something that doesn't exist (coughs) at least doesn't exist in the way we normally think it does so that that saying on the eraser board you are not who you think you are and as some of my guiding uh, moments this morning about things happen without your having to think about them. And so we happen in a way that we don't have to think about. We don't have to uh, create ourselves in, in the stories that we tell or the way we think about things. And I left off last Sunday with some um, unfinished business about the way we can approach the experience of no separate self, no I, no me, no mine. And I just want to 
recapitulate some of the suggestions uh, because we know that Zen practice is practical. It is has to work. It has to transform our lives. And if it's not working, then it's not our path. So it's, it's got to have an effect on, on the way we live. So one of the ways that we can discover or experience this no separate self is to become aware of the way we speak about this self that we have. And I suggested that we should be aware when we say things like, that's just the way I am. I'm basically an anxious person. Or, that's just the way I am. I'm just irritable. Uh, it's, I've always been irritable. And I probably will always be. You know, I'm a certain kind of person. And that's the way I am. So be aware and consider that that isn't exactly true. For example, I have given my experience of stealing chocolate-covered ginger (laughs) at the Wegmans bulk counter, bulk area. It's one of my favorite stores um, that... I walked out of Wegmans with a bag of chocolate-covered ginger that was the price of almonds, which was a lot cheaper than the chocolate-covered ginger, and I got away with it. And on the way home, I was thinking, God, Mado, this is not who you are. (laughs) You're not a thief. But in fact, I was a thief. I was a thief at that moment. At that moment in time, I was a thief. And there are many, many times when you might say to yourself, this isn't me. It is you. There's no you that that is always a certain way. And you need to recognize that and accept that that sometimes the you isn't who you think you are. You can surprise yourself. My God, I can't believe I did that. You did do that. (laughs) And you don't have a separate identity that doesn't do things like that. So be compassionate toward yourself. Recognize that the truth of your being is not that you are this, like, peaceful... Um, all, you know, kind, compassionate, perfect being, as we read today in Shikantaza, there's no such thing. And we're not striving to be a perfect being. Whatever it is that we're working on, it's to be perfectly human. And I'm not going to say we're flawed. It's not about being a... Because I'm a thief... I'm flawed. No, I happen to be a thief at that moment. That's what happened. And I became someone aware of having been a thief the next moment. 
and kind of kind of being sorry. I was a person next moment who was sorry for being a thief. And I just continue on being whoever I happen to be at the time, given the causes and conditions that I deal with. So be aware of when, both when you say, this is just who I am, this is just who I am, and I can't believe that I did that. Be aware of how those things connect. We suggested another way to discover this no separate self is to talk a lot less and listen a lot more. So when you talk, you, and I can testify to that right now, you give yourself the sense of of your importance. You know, you, you... come forward and people listen to you. So you can get an inflated sense of who you are. So if you listen more, what do they say? God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. So in a way we're designed to be listening more than we are to be talking. And when you listen more, the sense of yourself, this separate self, begins to recede. And you're listening, you kind of recede into a kind of more passive availability to what is moving toward you. So, talking less. Leaving the self in the background. Leaving leaving your opinions, your ideas, your take on the world, uh, just kind of leaving it in the background and being open to what is, what is calling your attention. We talked about being generous. We can get very self-involved with... Um, Mine. This is mine. This is this is this is my child. This is my chainsaw. This is my car. This is my. These are my possessions. Um, and and all of these things begin to create layers of selfness. It's totally an illusion that these things that you have that you think you possess are yours because they're not they belong <laughs> to the universe and you know that ultimately you're going to have to give it all up so you might as well give it all up right now and practice for the time when you are going to have to give it all up and also practice for the time when the rug is going to be pulled out from under you And you are going to lose things that you thought were permanent, that you thought were yours, and you discover they're not, that they're going to disappear, whether there be people, pets, possessions, careers, (laughs) everything is floating by you, like, you know, 
you're trying to grab it. Oh, this is mine. It's like trying to grab water. You're going to lose it. And the more you try to grab, the more frustrated and suffering, more suffering you'll have. Because you cannot hold on to things. And so letting go, letting go, giving away, being generous with those things that particularly you want to hold on to. Like your children, for example, or your money, or your precious, your precious possessions. Find a way to be generous. Because every time you give, you are actually giving some of that separate self away. This is going to give yourself away. And you'll find the true, your true nature, which is, doesn't have anything, which is naked, which is completely connected with everything else. So you don't really need to hold on to anything. You don't need to hold on to anything. You have everything. You have everything you need. So share it. This is what is actually known as Indian giving, which has been misinterpreted. Indian giving is that you give things away because you don't own anything. It's like passing the peace pipe. You don't, you don't let anything become a possession. You, you don't allow anything to become, in, in, in economic terms, you don't allow anything to become capital, something that you, that you possess and that you can exploit. So you, you keep it flowing. You keep the gift because everything you have is a gift. So you just keep it flowing. Keep, it, keep giving it away. That helps you to discover that you... You don't have a mine because you don't have a separate self. You can also kind of be curious about your motives. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Did I say that or do that to promote myself? Did I do that thing as an, an act of wanting a lot of attention? So this curiosity about what, what, your, what your self-centered motives may be may help you discover that maybe there isn't this self that needs to be say things or do things that are meant to inflate your ego. So why did I do that? Did I do that because I was really being generous? Because I really cared about that person? Or did I do that because I wanted to be seen as a generous person? I wanted to build that self. So questioning, questioning, being curious.
when you discover that you did something like taking something that wasn't yours, don't be so hard on yourself, on yourself. Just recognize that this is how you were behaving at the time. And sort of, in a way, celebrate the fact that you don't have a continuous identity. Why celebrate that? Because the fact that you don't have a permanent continuous identity means that you can change means that you can grow, means that you can become a more humane, more realized person. We can learn, we can change, and that is only because we are not permanent. How how, how horrible it would be if we didn't have that space of discontinuity to allow us to go in different directions and learn and grow. So celebrate the times when you're not yourself, when you don't think, well, this isn't me. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I can be some, I can do something else, be someone else for this moment or the next moment. Last week I used, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, I used this um, this image, which I think is really helpful, of figure and ground. Let's say this is this is who you think you are. You you have a certain form. This is you. But obviously, you can't exist without all of this, (laughs) right? All of what isn't you defines you, defines that form. So one of the ways in which you can discover this relationship is to, the way I'm going to put it, is to live closer to the edges of who you think you are. In other words, to live closer to, to, to this, to this edge. Not to live so much in the middle of this form. Now what does that mean? <laughs> to live closer to the edges of what is not you closer to the edges of what is not you. One of the ways that I have found to be extremely helpful, and I bet many of you have found this to be true, is to spend much more time in the natural world. All of this is not you. But when you spend more time with this, your edge actually, you feel more human. I feel much more human 
when I'm out there than I do with other human beings. <laughs> because they, other human beings kind of reinforce your sense of self. I spend, I'm beginning to spend much more time with animals. Thank God I got my two kitties. Because when I'm with them, I'm not so, I don't have such a human, personal centered sense of who I am. I'm much more aware that I'm. Just, I was going to say not that important, but only important to the extent that I feed them and pet them. And that, you know, that's very simple. So spending time with what is not you, what is other than human will, I think, be very helpful. Besides creating a lot of suffering by thinking you are a separate self, you can create a lot of suffering by thinking about others as separate selves, as not only saying, this is who I am, but saying, that's who Bob is. I mean, he's just, he's just a person who, whatever, doesn't, doesn't listen. Uh, that person is, just somebody who likes to irritate other people or that person is a Zen priest and that's exactly you know what she does or who she is or take any role that we bring to other people as a preconception of who they are Oh, well, she's my friend, or he's my friend, and that's what friends do. This is, this is how a friend should be. Or this person could never be my friend, because they are like such and such. So attributing permanence to other people. I, I remember my, my father, who used he was a cab driver, many years ago, they used to have these um, change, uh, I don't know whether anybody ever, you know what I'm talking about, these changers, they had slots for dimes and pennies and nickels and whatever, and you, you took it and got something and put it in that slot. So, you know, we, we come to, to experience to other people, for instance, uh, with that kind of those categories and it could be gender oh that's she's a woman and that you know in the nickel slot <laughs> you know or 
uh, he's a professor in that slot. This person is a born-again Christian, that slot. I got that pegged. That's just the way they are. And I can expect them to be this way. This person is a vegetarian. Oh, I got to see if they're wearing a leather belt. <laughs> I mean, so we have, we have these conceptions of other people that we, we can't see them for who they, they are, which is also discontinuous. And often people surprise us, just as we surprise ourselves. Oh, I did that? Wow, she did that? Or he did that? Wow, NATO's practiced for 35 years, and she's depressed? Oh my God, that can't be. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You know, I did steal, I did steal chocolate-covered ginger. I'm not proud of it, but I offer it as an example of how we suffer and because we attribute permanence or separateness or we take our preconceptions and we bring them with us. Even age. You know, you can take the wide range of biases that we have, you know. I can tell that right away, you know, when I go anywhere these days. Because I have gray hair. (laughs) I'm shrinking. (laughs) And, I mean, I can tell that I'm being treated like an old woman. And sometimes, you know, like people will come and I'll have to move some, move a big piece of furniture um, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it because they treat me as an old woman. And I can, I can lift a very heavy piece of furniture. Oh, my God. I once surprised a group of Penn State students who I, we came out to split wood. And they said, oh, Dr. Anderson, you know, we'll, I showed them how to split wood. <laughs> How can we bring sort of this freshness, these fresh eyes, these fresh ears, these fresh uh, uh, presence to to our relationships so that we don't lock people down? Even I did that with my dog, you know, uh, when I had a black lab. And I expected her to be a certain way because I, that was her habit. And then one day she totally, she was totally, um, you might say, unfaithful to me. <laughs> and I just like was really offended. You know, that's not what dogs are Dogs are supposed to be faithful constantly. But she was faithful, but she was faithful to somebody else. And I was not prepared to accept that. And I suffered with that. Oh my God, you know, she's... Why did she do that? Why? What happened? But if we approach our lives with that freshness and not 
lock everything down. This is the way it should behave. This is what I'm expecting. And we can enjoy the surprises. We can enjoy the way people move, the way people change. And we can, like, coming to Owan, we don't know who's going to be here, what's going to be said. Um, This is a good practice in, I'm just coming and I just don't know. I'm I'm just allowing um, even someone who, you know, our biases with appearances. Uh, Someone has green hair. Oh, well, or dresses in a certain way. We've examined this. We've immediately begun to lock down. And it is a profound practice to avoid doing that. It, it is, and it's a hard practice because it's our way of trying to control our lives. To be able to just be present moment after moment without locking down on expectations or preconceptions. No, I'm going to, I'm just coming with an open, I'm going to see this person in an in a open way. I'm going to be there, present at this moment with who they are and who I am. So I want to uh, end with a quote that I, in one of my many journals, I happen to write. I have no idea who said this. Um, I usually write down the person who I'm quoting. I have the feeling it may be Carl Jung. I'm not sure. Deep down, we all hope that some experience, some great realization, enough years of dedicated practice might finally lift us beyond the touch of life. Beyond the mundane struggles of the world. We cling to some hope that in spiritual life we can rise above the wounds of our human pain. Never to have to suffer them again. We expect some experience to last But permanence is not true freedom, not the sure heart's release. To hold on to the last port of call, no matter how beautiful, would be like holding our breaths, creating a prison from our past. We want to live life joyfully, vitally, completely present. And when we try to hold on to our past, whether it be our past selves, our past experience, 
our past relationships, our past dealings with other people, we create a prison for ourselves. So our practice is to break out of this prison, to realize true freedom, true liberation, which is to to see things with fresh eyes, with fresh ears, with an open heart and an open mind. Please return your cushions to their places.